let every person be subject to the governing authorities. For there is no authority except from God, and those that exist have been instituted by God. Therefore, whoever resists the authorities resists what God has appointed. For those who resist will incur judgment. For rulers are not a terror to good conduct, but to bad. Would you have no fear of the one who is in authority? Then do what is good, and you will receive his approval. For he is God's servant for your good. But if you do wrong, be afraid, for he does not bear the sword in vain. For he is the servant of God, an avenger who carries out God's wrath on the wrongdoer. Therefore, one must be in subjection, not only to avoid God's wrath, but also for the sake of conscience. For because of this, you also pay taxes, for the authorities are ministers of God attending to this very thing. Pay to all what is owed to them, taxes to whom taxes are owed, revenue to whom revenue is owed, respect to whom respect is owed, honor to whom honor is owed. Let's play fill in the blank. And by that I mean you guess. <laughs> I've already learned the answer. The blank and fall of the Roman Empire. Maybe you're thinking what I did back when a prof asked us this. What is it? Some kind of trick question? Rise. Obviously, the rise and fall of the Roman Empire. It's a gargantuan work by Edward Gibbon. Seven huge volumes. Huge volumes. Thousands and thousands of pages. It actually took him his entire lifetime to write it. He named the volumes like he'd named children. It's a huge work. And if you guess that it is the rise and fall of the Roman Empire, congratulations, you guessed wrong. <laughs> Just like me, actually. Uh, the real title, The Decline and Fall of the Roman Empire. You see, it starts with the Caesars. Like most of us, you probably thought that Rome always had Caesars. <laughs> No, no, no. This was a development that happened when Rome started to decline. The Caesars were terrifically vile, despotic rulers. And the worst of them all? Nero. The very Caesar in power when Paul wrote that every person be subject to the governing authorities. And Paul says, he is God's servant for your good. <laughs> How does this work out? And what is our responsibility to obey and pay? <laughs> pay taxes, that is, and obey the laws of the land. Obey and pay to a government with which we have increasingly less in common. I mean, is America reaching its age of the Caesars? Maybe. And even if it is, especially if it is, how do we respond? Eric Schwartz has an article in Bible and Spade entitled, Let Every Soul Be Subject, that deals with this issue. He compares that ancient world with ours and asks the same questions that we are. 
What is our responsibility to an increasingly anti-Christian, immoral government? Let's start by examining our culture and that present during the decline of the Roman Empire, the very time when Paul wrote to the Church of Rome. Let's figure out what we're dealing with here. Swartz first deals with Nero's government programs. So we'll start with foreign intervention and ethnic persecution. Okay. We certainly do see that in governments today. In first century Britain, the Iceni king Prasutagas named as his heirs his two daughters and Nero. On his death, the government Nero commanded took everything. The wife was scourged. The daughters were raped by the Romans. The king's relatives were enslaved. All the ancient holdings of the Iceni were made to belong to Rome. Why? Well, it seems Nero was incensed that he dared to name anyone on equal terms with himself, even naming his own children in his own will. In the fighting that followed Prasutagus' death, a few hundred Roman soldiers were killed and 80,000 Celts. Wow, talk about foreign intervention. <laughs> we complain, and quite correctly, about our government's excessive acquisition of wealth and property. But not in our worst nightmares have we ever seen our government act as horrifically as Nero's Rome. And yet Paul says of that Rome and that man, there is no authority except from God and those that exist have been instituted by God. Hmm. We've seen our government play favorites, you know, ending careers of people who disagree with them. If you haven't watched the movie Expelled, you might want to. Shutting down businesses via fines when they disagree with policy. You may recall a certain flower shop in eastern Washington struggling right now with that. Eliminating tax benefits for those that oppose them. How about this for a problem? Almost everybody agrees that Nero was accessory to the assassination of his predecessor, Claudius, who was his uncle and the stepfather. His mother tried to control Nero and run the kingdom, so he decided she needed to die. His first attempt failed, so he boldly accused her of treason and sent an execution squad to her home. <laughs> His mother. Nero, by the way, was haunted by this crime all the rest of his days, frequently plagued with terrible nightmares. Not that that stopped him from even more evil. He wanted to divorce Octavia and marry his mistress, but Octavia's political connections were too good. And current sentiment was that it, you know, it was perfectly all right for husbands to run around all they wanted. <laughs> In fact, other men questioned a man's manhood if he didn't do that. But wives were to be virtuous. So Nero had Octavia's slave girls tortured to extort false testimony about her fidelity, charge, charge claiming her infidelity. Incredibly, only some of the slaves succumbed, the others dying for Octavia. But it was enough what he got to meet the legal requirements, so he had her killed. 
and not in a kind way. According to the Roman historian Tacitus, the veins of every limb were opened, after which she was killed outright by the steam of an intensely hot bath. And her head was brought to Nero in Rome. As were the heads of those two Romans that were rising in power in Germany and Asia Minor. In fact, when Platus' head was shown to him, Nero mocked by saying, Why would you have been a Nero? This <laughs> guy a little sick for you? <laughs> we have records of hundreds of people thus eliminated by Nero. Anybody think we have it that bad now? <laughs> Come on. And yet of this Caesar, Paul wrote, rulers are not a terror to good conduct, but to bad. Would you have no fear of the one who is in authority? Then do what is good and you will receive his approval, for he is God's servant for your good. <laughs> I should stop and tell you of Nero's off efforts, his work in self-aggrandizement. <laughs> you know, is every politician interested in making himself famous? I, I think they must be. Nero used to take part in sports in the arena. I don't need to tell you who always won when he did. He would act in plays, a leading role, of course, and people were not allowed to leave no matter how long the event lasted, and he would take hours sometimes. There are even reports that some women gave birth to children in their seats because they weren't allowed to leave even then. Okay? Nero, after all, was on the stage. And his antics grew worse over time. And there's much that went past this silliness too. Let's consider the amount of government involvement in people's lives. How should disaster relief be achieved? What about urban development and infrastructure? What about jobs development? There was the great fire that destroyed all but three of the 14 districts of Rome. Historians Tacitus and Suetonius, as well as the vast majority of citizens that we've got documents from, believed that Nero was involved in the setting of the fire. Apparently he wanted to rebuild Rome and they wouldn't let him because, well, it didn't need it. So he made sure it did need rebuilding. <laughs> oh, the report that Nero was playing the fiddle while Rome burned, that's not true. No, he, he was singing on stage of the fall of Troy. And he thought that a fire burning away most of the city was insufficient cause for him to stop his performance. So he did finish it. Our hero uh, did launch an immediate relief program. A removal of bodies was the first order of business. It may not surprise you to learn that only his government workers were allowed in the disaster area and that none of the jewelry of the dead or other valuable personal property that should have gone to the families, you know, it was just never found. <laughs> and much real estate was nationalized with no remuneration to the owners. The new Rome was beautiful. Everybody agrees, beautiful. If expensive, monetarily and morally, there were many other fantastic works projects, some ridiculous and, and never finished, a lot of them, that Nero undertook for his own glory. 
And yet Paul wrote, whoever resists the authorities resists what God has appointed. And those who resist will incur judgment. Hmm. And as for a balanced budget, <laughs> yeah, forget it. Deficit spending was the order of the day. <laughs> Although he did give tax rebates to some influential friends, uh, he also spent lavishly on certain government programs that benefited certain groups. But self-control in spending? He never wore the same clothes twice, ever in his life. Wow. He always traveled with a thousand baggage carts. A thousand. Whenever he traveled, a thousand baggage carts. The mules that drew them were shod in silver. The drivers were dressed in scarlet jackets, the most expensive thing available. The soldiers who guarded it were all marvelously mounted and attired. That was Nero. And from where did the funds come for this government expense? Suetonius says he taxed the people until he had exhausted the means of both the provinces and the private persons. He took everything he could get. We must often stand against our own government's expenditures. For instance, in the arts, some of the so-called art that our tax dollars have supported is vile and horrible. And we should oppose paying for that, as well as anything that opposes biblical truth and morals. But the worst we've seen, the absolute worst, is nothing to what Nero produced. Plays that ended in the death of actors, blatant sexuality, in the name of art, statues more and more blatantly showing sexual deviancy. They don't display those in the museums. They were everywhere. In fact, the very idea of deviancy was mocked and flat out denied. Now that does sound familiar, doesn't it? <laughs> and yet Paul said of this ruler, He is God's servant for your good, but if you do wrong, be afraid, for he does not bear the sword in vain, for he is the servant of God, an avenger who carries out God's wrath on the wrongdoer. I think perhaps no issue today divides America more than the issue of sexuality. America has like sex on the brain. I mean, nearly every television show, movie, and play has sexual activity as a subject, often the subject. It's common in comedies, but not within the bounds of biblical marriage. You know, they, how dare you even think of placing any restriction on me? We should be have absolute free expression, by which they mean absolute license to do anything they want regardless of the harm it does or the affront it is to their creator. Can we just stop for a moment <laughs> and remind ourselves that trains don't run if they get off the track? Okay. Well, aren't they then restricted? They're trains. They are supposed to run on tracks. It's what they're made for. Physical union in marriage is beautiful and wonderful, building up a couple's relationship. Outside, it always eventually becomes destructive. Back at Rome, it was all about sexual orientation rights and the redefinition of marriage. Did it ever puzzle you that there's no father-to-son progression in the Caesars? Have you ever noticed that? There's none, not one. No son ever took over for his father. That's strange. 
Perhaps it's because of the 15 major Caesars, 14 were either homosexual or bisexual. <laughs> of Julius Caesar, it was said he was every woman's man and every man's woman. Bet you didn't know that. <laughs> it was only a few decades after Augustus' official affirmation of marriage that Nero's sexual deviancy was made increasingly public and violent. Tacitus said he's unsure whether Nero actually carried out the physical domination of his own mother that he made clear he desired. It was said that married women and young boys were not safe from his onslaughts. Even vestal virgins, that's those that were set aside for religious purposes, think nuns, okay? Even they were not safe around Nero. He even tried to get the Senate to recognize his marriage to a young slave boy, Sporus, legalized homosexual marriage to a boy, but the Senate wouldn't do it. Apparently, even they had some limits beyond which they didn't want to go. No one asked the little boy what he thought, and it all made no difference to Nero. He paraded the poor boy, whom he had also um, altered physically, uh, as a wife throughout Greece and Rome. He also made entertainment of both men and women in the arena an event. He, he bound them to stakes and both caused and then took part in, well, as Mr. Schwartz said, these acts defy any modest description. This is Nero all paid for at government expense, all carried out via government programs. And of this government, Paul writes, therefore one must be in subjection not only to avoid God's wrath, but also for the sake of conscience. <laughs> Paul, how does this work? For because of this you also pay taxes, for the authorities are ministers of God attending to this very thing. Ministers of God? Yeah, that's exactly what he said. Inspired by the Holy Spirit. We don't have it so bad. <laughs> but what of those to whom Paul wrote? They were right in Rome. Every day they could see Nero's excesses. But God used Nero for what he wanted to achieve. Even though Nero was consumed with evil thoughts, he did have to keep the kingdom in order. The very existence of the Roman Empire made it possible for Paul and many other Christian evangelists to traverse vast areas with relative ease. Letters like the one to the Roman church could be delivered with good security. Paul's Roman citizenship kept him alive and safe as he spread the gospel. And, at government expense, it brought him thousands of miles to the very capital not so very long after Paul wrote this letter. Of course, later Nero had Paul killed, and Peter, who wrote, by the way, honor everyone, love the brotherhood, fear God, honor the emperor. <laughs> Nero killed him, and thousands of other Christians but curiously enough, 
that turned public sympathy toward the believers when it had been decidedly against Christianity. Kind of wonder, would we be so excited to be persecuted by our own government if it turned people's hearts toward us so that we could tell them of Christ? <laughs> Just be excited. Even if some of our friends and our leaders were killed? Pay to all what is owed to them, taxes to whom taxes are owed, revenue to whom revenue is owed, respect to whom respect is owed, honor to whom honor is owed. We have to respect those in positions of authority, even giving them honor when it is due. And yes, that includes our president and our governor and our policemen. Can we agree that they are clearly not as bad as Nero? Okay, can we at least do that? But even if they were that bad, Paul says give them the proper respect of their office. Honor the position. One salutes the rank, not the man. That line's from the Manly Man movie, The Band of Brothers. In case you were wondering where you heard it. Good movie. Have we confirmed with maybe all too great a clarity <laughs> that the worst our government has to offer is nowhere near the disgusting behavior of Rome in its decline? Okay then. Let's look a part of this subject as Jesus taught it to the Pharisees. You may have heard people complain about their tax dollars being used for bad things. A half a billion dollars a year going to one abortion provider alone, for instance. But some who say they want to live by the Bible have said that Christians should not pay their taxes to Caesar, U.S. government in our case. What does Jesus say about this? The Pharisees ask, tell us then. What do you think? Is it lawful to pay taxes to Caesar or not? <laughs> Hot topic. But Jesus, aware of their malice, said, Why put me to the test, you hypocrites? Show me the coin for the tax. And they brought him a Daenerys. And Jesus said to them, Whose likeness and inscription is this? They said, Caesar's. Then he said to them, Therefore render to Caesar the things that are Caesar's, and to God the things that are God's. Every Caesar, at great public expense, had coins stamped to celebrate something or another about himself. And almost invariably, there was a representation of some false god on the opposite side of the coin from their own image. Can you just imagine Jesus holding up the coin for the Pharisees to see the image of the current Caesar facing them and what would he be looking at <laughs> on the opposite side? Render to Caesar the things that are his, pay your taxes, and to God the things that are God's. Don't honor any false gods. Early in the life of the church, while it was still confined to Jerusalem, the authorities were, I like how Luke takes it, greatly annoyed because the apostles were saying Jesus was resurrected. In fact, these guys had done a great miracle. So they arrest them and tell them to stop it. But Peter and John answered them, whether it is right in the sight of God to listen to you rather than to God, you must judge, for we cannot but speak of what we have seen and heard. Translation, sorry guys, and no can do. <laughs> We've seen Jesus, who you killed, 
alive and we have to talk about it. There are times when we have to stand against Caesar. For sure, that's when we are told not to speak of Jesus' resurrection. Forget that one. Not very long after this event that we just read comes round two. Once again, they arrest the apostles, and when they had brought them, they set them before the council. And the high priest questioned them, saying, We strictly charged you not to teach in this name. Yet here you have filled Jerusalem with your teaching, and you intend to bring this man's blood upon us. But Peter and the apostles answered, We must obey God rather than men. If God tells us in his word to do something and the government contradicts it, we have no choice. We must obey God rather than men. And it might not be pretty. When they had called in the apostles, they beat them and charged them not to speak in the name of Jesus and let them go. But we got to do what we got to do. They left the presence of the council rejoicing that they were counted worthy to suffer dishonor for the name. And every day in the temple and from house to house, they did not cease teaching and preaching that the Christ is Jesus. <laughs> I like that they rejoiced that they got to suffer. What a great deal. And they kept preaching Jesus. you got to love it. It's interesting that Jesus had said of those very religious leaders, the same exact people, well did Isaiah prophesy of you hypocrites that it is written, these people honors me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. In vain do they worship me, teaching as doctrines the commandments of men. You leave the commandment of God and hold to the tradition of men. Let us never follow their example. Not even if our very lives are threatened. Jesus said of the Roman government, I tell you, my friends, do not fear those who kill the body and after that have nothing more that they can do. But I will warn you whom to fear. Fear him who, after he has killed, has authority to cast into hell. Yes, I tell you, fear him. Rome had authority to kill people. But that is not the worst fate. Okay? God can do the same and then cast those who defy his authority into hell. Getting authority right is a critical issue. Perhaps you have read the story of the Roman government official who so impressed Jesus with his faith. When talking to Jesus, this officer said, For I too am a man under authority, with soldiers under me. And I say to one, Go, and he goes, and to another, Come, and he comes. And to my servant, Do this, and he does it. I too am a man not in authority, but under authority. He got it right. <laughs> we know that because when Jesus heard this, he marveled and said to those who followed him, Truly I tell you, with no one in Israel have I found such faith. When we understand the authority of men, we begin to grasp the authority of Christ. Let every person be subject to the governing authorities, for there is no authority except from God, and those that exist have been instituted by God. It is important to submit to human authority. 
as long as they do not ask us to deny the teachings God has provided to us. Precisely because God has put these people in place. When we submit to authorities, we are really submitting to God. When we don't submit to authority, we're really rejecting the rule of God. Even when Jesus walked the face of this earth, it was clear who was in charge. When Jesus finished these sayings, the crowds were astonished at his teaching, for he was teaching them as one who had authority and not as their scribes. But Jesus didn't come to replace human authority. He put that authority in place. The entire Roman Empire was put in place for God's purposes, like making the spread of the gospel so very effective, like persecuting the church, so that people watching the response of those godly people themselves turned to God. Our government, whether we like our government or not, was instituted by God. He put it in place. And we must give honor where honor is due. We must be subject to the governing authorities. Jesus didn't come to replace human authority. Yet, <laughs> one day, he will come back for those who belong to him. Then comes the end when he delivers the kingdom to God the Father after destroying every rule and every authority and every power. For he must reign until he has put all enemies under his feet. One day, all those who rule and are enemies of Christ will be destroyed. No authority that opposes him will survive. All power not aligned with the kingdom of God will be put under his feet. For now, God uses those authorities for his purposes, and we must submit to them. Remembering always that because the Son was willing to take on human form, becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross, therefore God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. One day that will finally become our reality. So let us live always recognizing how great our future is. If we have died with him, we will also live with him. If we endure, we will also reign with him. We will one day rule with Jesus Christ.